Colossians. I can read this as large print. Uh, chapter 4, <clears throat> as we continue our study through that epistle. Would you please stand for the reading of God's Word this morning, as they did throughout the Scriptures, showing respect for God's Holy Word. <clears throat> I'll start reading in um, verse 7. Let's hear the word of the Lord. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all rule, uh, far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And remember also in the book of Colossians where it says, all things were made through him and for him. Uh, We really need to grasp the majesty of the Lord Jesus Christ. As we contemplate texts like that, we really gather his greatness. And he gave the apostles the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers, so to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Please be seated. Let's go to God in prayer. Pray for me uh, as I preach this text and for yourselves as well. Let's pray. Our God and Heavenly Father, we beseech you, O Lord, in all humility, as we recognize that we are uh, totally dependent upon your grace and totally undeserving of all the things that you do for us. And so we ask you, our God, according to your grace and kindness, bless this time now. Bless me as I preach this word. Be with your congregation that they would not drift here and there, that their thoughts would not be in other places, and that they would not find themselves in dullness of mind. But rather, O God, open up our hearts and minds to receive this instruction, which is so important for your church. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Yesterday I received a picture of my grandchildren, and they were all five of them in a park playing. And walking through the middle of them was little Palmer with a smile on his face. It was a very touching picture. I think it would have been had they not even been my grandchildren. But as winsome as they are, and as wonderful as they are, in ten years, we would want them to have matured, not to stay where they are at the age of two, because that would indicate some kind of issue. And not simply to, uh, at ten years of age, but at twenty and thirty and forty and ever how long they happen to live, to be mature as Christians to serve Christ in a faithful capacity as adults. The Apostle Paul 
in this letter to the Ephesians has a concern. And the concern is this, that these Christians grow in grace, that these Christians grow in a knowledge of Christ and that that knowledge of Christ will influence them spiritually to become more like Jesus. And so we learn from this that every single Christian in every single church throughout the world needs desperately to become more like Jesus. And it's not something that's automatic. It's not something that happens overnight. It is something that we must therefore put forth effort to mature in Christ as you recognize that moment by moment we are bombarded with temptations. We are bombarded with the things of the world. We are bombarded with, with things that are frightening, such as Israel being bombed and now that Israel is going to be engaged in a full-time war against Hamas. Well, these are kind of frightening things, and Russia has threatened to destroy us, and they have the capability to do so. These are frightening things. So all these things come into play, then the successes that we have, the failures that we have, the threats that we faced day in and day out, these things can cause us to lack, to have a lack of trust in God's faithfulness, a lack of trust in Jesus Christ. Not only that, we have the temptations that are within us that come every single day. We deal with these things. So Paul here is informing these people, look, you need to mature. You need to grow. You need to become more like Christ. And that is exactly why he gave gifts to the church. So the gifts are to be used for the furtherment of God's grace in the lives of his church. Would have us to see this this morning. Since Christ desires that his church grow spiritually, he has given particular gifts to particular people for a specific purpose. And that purpose is that we may minister to one another with the idea being that we would grow in the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. Three things this morning. The tyranny of the church requires using the gifts that Christ has given to his church. The second thing, the return of the church requires the exercise of those gifts faithfully among God's people. A little bit of difference in the two. The first point, we're going to look more at the Bible and the Word of God and the necessity of the Word of God. If the church is going to mature, it has to make full use of the Scriptures in preaching and in teaching and in studying at home. Listen to this. A church that ignores the Bible is not going to mature in a way that God would have it to mature. And the third thing, then, is that uh, the maturing church requires a transformation of lives after the image of the Lord of Jesus Christ. So the, who do you want to be like? Who are you supposed to imitate? Who should be your, your idol, if you will, is Christ. Who should be your great passion is Christ. It's God in the flesh, our great Savior and our great Redeemer. So then, the maturing of the church depends upon using the gifts that God has given to his people. And the gifts lifted that he just, I just read to you a moment ago, some as apostles, some as prophets. These are not exhaustive. 
Because we can look at other places in the Bible. We can look at Romans 12, for example, 1 Corinthians 12, for example. And there are other uh, gifts listed that are not cited here in uh, the text. But notice the gifts listed here are particular, particularly to be used for the mystery of the word. Every one of these is. I'll read it again to you. <clears throat> he gave some as apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. And notice the first thing here involved is the necessity of the Bible. I told my Sunday school class, Suzanne Adam was a lady who, she was one of the founding members of the church. Uh, and she was with us until a few years ago. She died. <clears throat> she was worshiping somewhere. <clears throat> and uh, the pastor, as he read the Bible, said this, listen for the word of God. Not listen to, but listen for the word of God. Which seems to me to be an expression of unbelief and inerrancy of Scripture. Dr. Robertson, I've told the congregation this before. Some of you have not heard this. Dr. Robertson, Palmer Robertson, one of my old professors who's still alive and writing books still, was in a church service somewhere, and he was leaving the building, and he went and shook the pastor's hand, and he leaned forward and whispered in his ear, you're a false prophet. Didn't believe the scriptures, obviously. Didn't preach the Bible, obviously. So it is central that we have the understanding and the commitment that the Bible is central to maturity in the Christian life, in the church. Uh, and certainly the pulpit is essential, but as Alistair Begg said, it is central in every aspect of the life for the Christian. And so that we ask ourselves, someone comes to us and asks us a question, and we say this, well, what does the Bible say about it? What does God's Word say about it? Not what are the, the, the latest notions of our society. What does God say about man and woman? That's it. That's it. There are two genders, male and female. That's it. And the Bible is quite clear on that. And yet the insanity that is going to swept through our society denies that. It's simply denying the Bible. It is denying God's word. Male and female, he created them. That's what the Bible says. That's what God's word says. And so what does God's word have to say about it? Someone comes to you and they're discouraged. Let's see what God's word has to say about it. And so again, it is so important for us to understand the necessity of the Bible, both in our church and in our lives. Right does the Westminster Confession of Faith open with, in the first Chapter is on of the Holy Scriptures. Confession of faith is a part of the Constitution of the Presbyterian Church in America. The first chapter of the Westminster Confession of Faith begins with a Holy Scripture. And it says in Article 10, listen to this. The supreme judge by which all controversies of religion 
are to be determined in all decrees of councils, opinion of ancient writers, doctrines of men in private spirit are to be examined and in whose sentence are to rest can be no other, whose sentence we are to rest can be no other than the Holy Spirit speaking in the scriptures. All scripture is God-breathed and profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate equipped for every good work. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth, said the Lord Jesus Christ. The necessity of our loving the scriptures, trusting the Bible, and having to be the directory of our lives. Well, then Paul mentions here in the first place the apostles. He's already talked about the apostles in chapter 2 and verse 10, where he said the apostles laid the foundation of the church. <clears throat> are there apostles today? Well, there was a movie made called The Apostle that starred Robert Duvall. Starred Robert Duvall. I liked it. I did not take theological lessons from the movie. I want to see it as entertainment. So the apostles laid the foundation. Once the foundation is laid, they are no longer needed. There are no apostles today. They simply are not. And... Uh, if you look at what made someone an apostle, the, uh, the definition of an apostle, well, the first thing was they saw the resurrected Christ. Each one of them did. Paul saw Jesus on the road to Damascus when Christ appeared to him. The first thing is all apostles saw the resurrected Jesus. Where is Jesus today? The resurrected Christ is in heaven at the right hand of God. The Spirit of Christ is ubiquitous everywhere. The Holy Spirit is everywhere. But Jesus' resurrected body is in glory. The second thing is they were commissioned by the Lord Jesus Christ. They were called by the Lord Jesus Christ to the work. Uh, <clears throat> the words that they spoke as apostles were the words of Christ. They had authority. And so as the apostles wrote uh, letters that became our New Testament, men who had authority, men who were called, these were the apostles. And again, it is something that is no longer an office in our church today. And listen to this, 1 Corinthians 12, 12, the signs of the, the a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty acts. There is not a person alive today that can take water and turn it into wine. There's not a person alive today that can raise somebody from the dead, like the Apostle Paul did when Eutychus fell out of the third floor of the building onto the ground. He died. Paul raised him from the dead. Not a person alive today that can do that. There are no apostles. The apostolic period has ended. They laid the foundation and is not one that continues on. The prophets is the next thing that he mentions. Now, these individuals are not so much to predicting the future. These individuals were preaching and teaching the word of God. They were the mouthpiece of God. And again. Uh, these prophets that were specially called, specially gifted, given special insight, given revelation from the Lord himself, they're gone today as well. 
there are no continuing successors to the apostles of the prophets. Now, they were very, very important. But they, this is an office that has ceased with the end of the apostolic period. Evangelist. Now, the word evangelism or evangelist occurs but two, three times in the New Testament. Philip is called an evangelist in the book of Acts. That's Acts 21 and verse 8. Timothy is told to do the work of an evangelist. It occurs two times, not three, two times. Sinclair Ferguson, his commentary on the book of Ephesians, says this, It is difficult to be dogmatic about the identity and ministry of the New Testament evangelists. He goes on to say that the evidence in Scripture suggests that these men were not evangelists in the same sense that we use the term today. It was a special office that they were called to and equipped to do the work. Now, Alistair Begg said this, and, and by the way, if you want to hear a great sermon on this, besides mine, if you want to hear a great sermon on this, listen to Edward Donnelly preach this text. He's gone to heaven. Man, he was a good preacher. Uh, so is Alistair Begg. But uh, Donnelly was just so good and so practical uh, in preaching this. And you can go to monergism.com and you can find all kinds of sermons on there. And Edward Donnelly, uh, who though has gone on to glory, and I think you know Tim and Kathy met him and heard him preach in public. What a blessing that surely must have been. Um, <clears throat> evangelist. <clears throat> uh, Alistair Begg said that there are some people today that are very gifted in evangelism. That they just have the ability to go up and talk to people. I've got to tell you this. I meet with a man every Tuesday at 10 o'clock. His name is Joan. He was converted in February. He showed up here one evening. And he talked to David Vinvoris, and David said, somebody here wants to talk to you about how to become a Protestant. And I went up to him, and I said, well, would you like to come by during the week, Monday? He said, I want to meet right now. I said, okay. So Charles and I went into my office and met with Joan. Man, he is on fire for the Lord. I mean, it is encouraging to hear him, to see God working. After we get through with our study. We're studying knowing God. After we get through with our study, he goes to the park and hands out tracts and talks to people about Jesus. God's an evangelist. He asked me, or he someone asked him, what are your gifts? He said, well, I think evangelism. And I would say, yeah, I think so too. So I think that uh, Alistair Begg is correct. There's some people, he said, some of us kind of get confused and kind of don't really do a good job of presenting the gospel but every Christian ought to be able to make a defense for what they believe, or at least say, well, I believe in Jesus, and here's why. But there are some people that are especially gifted in evangelism. And again, uh, this uh, class uh, that Paul mentions in Ephesians, I do agree with Sinclair Ferguson and, um, and uh, Alistair Begg that this was a special office for uh, that time. Pastors and teachers... Some said these should be considered one group. They are are taken together. Some said this, that you can be a teacher and not a pastor, but all pastors are teachers. You can be a teacher and not a pastor, but all pastors are teachers. You notice in this, it translates it shepherds, which would be elders in the church. So... 
pastors and teachers. This last one are offices in the church today. We are getting ready to have nominations for elders and deacons. Choose carefully. Think and pray about this carefully and deeply. There was in the past someone elected to the office who should not have been. He made my life rather miserable. He made the other people's lives rather miserable. And he finally left the church. It was a blessing to me when he left. Because he and his wife would come by my office, stay for three hours, and complain about this and that. She bought a legal pad with her. Full of stuff. Be careful and prayerful about who you nominate for the office of elder and for deacon. Can this person teach? Does this person have wisdom? Does this person demonstrate a, 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 a pastor's heart? All of these things. And for the deacon as well, there are to be spiritual, they're both spiritual gifts and spiritual callings. So this last one, again, is a gift today in the church. And God has gifted some men, particularly for the ministry, in order that they may facilitate others to grow. It's like the oil (laughs) in a car motor. Um, It facilitates. It causes uh, lubrication. The internal combustion can get up to 5,000 or 6,000 degrees Fahrenheit. And what that water does is cool the engine. What that oil does is lubricate the pistons and the valves and everything else inside the block. Well, that's what these people that he mentions here in this text are supposed to do. They are facilitate others for ministry that they may use their gifts in the church for the good of others, for the equipping of the saints for ministry. And every person in this room who is a believer has been given a gift Every single person in this room who is a Christian has been given a gift of some kind that God gave to you when you were converted. You have a responsibility to use that gift for the well-being of the others, and it says for the equipping of the saints here. This was the the, uh, responsibility of the man who recalled these offices here as laid out in this portion of Ephesians and chapter 4. And, again, the reason God enabled men to preach and teach the gospel and to minister in this way is so that people can be educated and can grow in the grace and sanctification in their lives. That's responsibility. And because it's been given, there's no room for pride in the church of anybody. You may have someone that is a great, great preacher. I mean, that's his gift gets in the pulpit, and he is easy to listen to. He's clear. He's concise. But he's been given that gift for Christ. You may have someone that is just an absolutely great teacher. I mean, can go up and explain things and make things very clear and make things hard that are hard, easy to understand. But he's been gifted for that by Christ. And again, there is no room in the church at all for arrogance or pride. Because someone ministers the word, there's no reason to be puffed up. And because someone can teach the word well, that's no reason for them to have an ego about it. Because, again, 
Christ gave that gift to them. That's why God, that's why Christ raises people up to these offices in the church. But again, today particularly, that of pastor or shepherd and teacher. Called and gifted for the good of the church and the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. So whatever gift we have, we need to use that gift for the building up of the church of the Savior. And uh, it is only as those gifts are exercised properly that the work of the church will be done properly. We read the, the uh, parable of the talent last week, I think, or two weeks ago. So I was broke down. I know that's bad grammar. It's broke down in New Orleans. That's like a song, doesn't it? Broke down in New Orleans. Then I ended up broken down in uh, Metairie, and that's over in Baton Rouge, but I'm getting way off the course. <clears throat> So, <clears throat> preparation for work in the church means there's work to be done in the church. Vital work. Important work to be done in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. This church, no church, has met a level of maturity where we can say we have arrived. I don't want to go to that church because I wouldn't fit in at all. I sure didn't have arrived. The people I know the best in this congregation, I can tell you, they hadn't arrived either. Just haven't. Why? Because we are still sinners. And because we are still tempted. And because we still give heed to the temptation. And we fall and we fall and we fall. So every church needs to be improved. The people need to grow in grace. And one way God has determined to do that is through giving gifts to people in the church that we are to use. We are to use faithfully. So the goal of the work of the ministry is building up of the body of Christ. He says it here in the text. The work of the ministry, the goal of the work of the ministry is to build up the body of Christ. And the needs for people in the church are varied. Someone may be terribly, terribly discouraged. Someone may be terribly, terribly sleepy. Someone may be terribly, terribly worldly and caught up into worldly things. Someone may be terribly, terribly given to lust and not really committed to their wife at all. Someone may be terribly, terribly mean. Somebody may have severe spiritual and physical needs. And so the needs in the congregation are different. And God has equipped different people to deal with different needs in the lives of people. And they are to be used because we need one another. You hear that? We need one another. If you think being a good Christian means coming in here and sitting for an hour and five minutes now, we didn't get started to turn after, so I'm going to take that extra five minutes. And go home and forget about the church, forget about God's people, forget about now you get involved in works. This is work now. Work's much more serious than church stuff, right? You've got to work. Told to work. And so we forget about spiritual things because now we're on the object of making money and advancing ourselves in society. And you have to make money. You have to... Uh, <laughs> I got to go a car. For some reason, they want money for cars. I have to do it. 
They want lots of money for cars these days. Whole lots of money. Karen Dalhan was talking to her. I got to tell this on The answer, you can tell it when you get home. I'm talking to her, and I say, you got to take my car off my insurance. And so we talk about it. She said, okay. And she says, can, it, can, it, can you drive it? I said, no. And she was concerned about somebody stealing it and then going to wreck it, and I'll be responsible for it. I said, it won't go anywhere. I said, they could vandalize it, but it's not going to go anywhere. And she said, this is a terrible time to have to buy a car. <laughs> yeah, they're expensive. Uses are expensive, but I didn't ask for it. See, I don't quit on cars. They quit on me. I drive them until they won't drive anymore because I hate to pay monthly payments. I can't stand them. Plus, they, they just cost so much money. But I'm getting way off course here. So the needs in the church are varied. And different people are given different gifts in order to meet those needs in the church. Use your gift. That means you have to be involved in people. Because if you come here and you go home and you don't talk to anybody else in the church until next Sunday, that's not a relationship. So we need to be in other one's homes. We need to be like the fall fair coming up. Everybody needs to be there for that. We have a prayer meeting every third Wednesday evening of the month. People need to come to that. Corporate prayer in the church is so important. So important. And a lot of people just simply don't support it, but it's so, so terribly Important, the corporate prayer of, of the church. And so we build up the body of Christ, minister to build up the body of Christ, and the end product of the ministry is threefold. Edification, encouragement, and endorsement. Which would be an aspect of encouragement. That's the end goal. Edification, encouragement, and endorsement. And that is done through using our gifts one with another. And being what God calls us to be in exercising the gifts that God calls us to exercise for the good of the others of this. Not using your gift is a very selfish thing. Very selfish not to use it. There are people hurting in this congregation. There are people that struggle in this congregation. Alistair Begg told this story. He said, are you a consumer in the church? Just a consumer. That you go and you take and you take and you take, but you don't give anything. Are you a consumer? And he said, uh, here was this person who decided, well, next Sunday, I'm going to look who may be by themselves and sitting alone, and I'm going to go talk to them. I'm going to go up to such and such and ask them in sincerity, how are you doing? And mean it. And then if that conversation calls upon that individual to be involved in the life of someone for encouragement, for building up, for crying with them, whatever the case may be, he said that person would say, I'm going to do that. We do not want to be simply... Consumers, we want to be consumers in the church. You want to profit uh, your spirit, your soul by being here and hearing the Lord's word read, hear the Lord's word preached. You want to profit from those things, but you have a responsibility to minister to others in the congregation as well. Because again, we all need one another. We all need encouragement. We all need 
to grow in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'll ask you this. Do you know him? Are you a Christian? Do you have a burden for the gospel, a burden for people? Do you desire to please Christ? Are you really trusting him for your salvation? And if the answer to that is no, you're not a believer. But there stands Christ ready to accept you come to him in faith and repentance. And then those of us who are Christians, we recognize that we need one another in our lives. And God's given us gifts to enable us to minister to one another. Do so freely and gladly. Let's pray. Almighty God, our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We do know there needs to be the building up of the body of Christ. The primary way that's done is through the proclamation and teaching of your word. Yet all of us here know the scriptures. and We can, O oh Father, use those scriptures that we know in the lives of others as they are hurting, as they are in need, as they have questions. Our God, we pray that it would be knit together. We pray that we would love one another. We pray that we would care for one another. That when someone is hurting, that we would hurt with them. When someone is rejoicing, we would rejoice with them as well. Oh, Lord, grow us up in Christ, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.